Yes, as you turn to Matthew 24, um, we were singing, and I will rise with you like eagles, and that scripture that says, you know, those who wait on the Lord, they shall rise like on eagles' wings, and it was God himself who said about the Israelites when he led them out of slavery, being chased by their enemies, then threw the water out into the wilderness, he said that I carried you on eagles' wings. But actually, physically, they were walking, weren't they? And actually, they were quite scared, and, and the enemy was following them, and, and they moaned and groaned quite a bit. But God saw it, that he was carrying them like they were on eagles' wings. They were flying. So don't let what you physically see talk you out of God's spiritual reality. For what he's doing right in you right now, even perhaps... Um, <coughs> I asked the Lord if there anything he wanted me to see, hear, or, or um, feel as words of knowledge this morning. And um, uh, if anyone's got, uh, well, for me it was the right ear. But as we know, when I gave a word of knowledge for a left hip a few months ago, three people experienced healing in their hips that Sunday, and one of them was the right hip. So even if I say right ear, don't let that try to change what God wants to do in your left ear, perhaps. You never know. But for me, if anyone's experiencing pain or even deafness in their right ear, I, I, I sense the Lord was saying he wanted to do something amazing uh, in your ear today. And also, um, I saw someone walking on stilts, and they were walking, and there was water and all sorts underneath, but they were okay because they were on stilts for some reason. Now, I sense the Lord is saying that someone is going to experience a Psalm 91 experience. You know, even though 10,000 may fall at my right side, you know, it shall not come near me. There's something about God is going to either lift you above the circumstances or you're going to see in a kind of a, a lofty way what's going on. And also, someone's really, really nervous. Perhaps you're really, really nervous, like butterflies in the stomach, nervous about something. And I just believe the Lord wants to say to you, he's got that. Whatever it is you're nervous about, you're going to see him do something this week. He's got this nervous situation that you're very worried about, and you'll see him do something wonderful. So, whatever physically we might be feeling and seeing right now, let us not be talked out of what God spiritually is really doing in and through us as we wait on him now. So Matthew 24, yes, we've been studying it for quite a while. We'll start in verse 6. We began this actually when uh, the Ukrainian war first broke out, and you'll see why. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes and uh, Luke adds pestilences and fearful events in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to, to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then 
the end will come. Now, last week we spoke of Jesus using the analogy of birth pains, childbirth, labour, to describe the suffering of creation right up until the end and the likelihood of how far along we are when it comes to have all nations heard the gospel? Has the gospel been preached to all nations? Because then the end is coming. And we worked out that maybe we're 100% there or maybe we're just 75% there. But we're quite a way along, aren't we? Most of all of the world has heard it, but have all people, all nations, heard of the gospel yet? Because Jesus said, when that happens, the end will come. And then I wonder how you got on with the homework I gave you. The homework was to look up at Genesis 3 and find out why is childbirth so painful? And does that explain why Jesus said these awful things must happen? Is there a link between why childbirth became painful? Because sadly, ladies, before Adam and Eve sinned, in Genesis 3, childbirth wasn't painful. But God said, because of this, you are now going to experience painful childbirth. That's one of the reasons or causes uh, because of sin. So, in my understanding of Scripture, because of Adam and Eve's original sin, and by the way, you wouldn't have done any better if you were there. (laughs) Because of Adam and Eve's original sin, man and woman in partnership with God could no longer have dominion over the earth. God gave them dominion, it says. Go and rule and reign over everything and be fruitful and multiply. Because they sinned, they no longer had that dominion. Their dominion was, is it usurped or uh, usurped? usurped? Their dominion was usurped by the devil. And he became, according to scripture, the God of this world, small g. Jesus described him three times in John as the prince of this world. Man and woman were meant to be gods of this world in a sense. In partnership with God, they were little gods in a sense with dominion handed by God. But now the enemy took that dominion. And we see when he tempted Jesus, one of the temptations was, Jesus, all these cities you can see belong to me. And I'll give them to you if you just bow down to me. So Jesus didn't say, no, they're not, they're not yours. He didn't argue with the devil because the devil had dominion sadly. And what we see in Genesis and spreading throughout the the Old Testament is how quickly and how far Satan's dominion began to spread. And what happens when Satan's dominion begins to spread? So does sickness, disease, death, destruction, strife, and every evil thing. And we see how far and quickly it's spread throughout the world and throughout humankind. But also, as we see immediately Adam and Eve's sin, curse enters the world with the dominion of of Satan. God announces at the same time, he announces Jesus is coming. In Genesis 3, as well as saying, ladies, sorry, because of this curse has entered the world, Because Satan now has dominion, you are going to suffer in childbirth. Also, God announces, but Jesus is coming. He is going to bruise his heel, Jesus' heel, or man and woman's heel. But 
Jesus will, what did he say Jesus would do? Crush his head. Satan will go about bruising heels, which snakes do, don't they? They can. But Jesus will come and crush your head. Okay? Right now, we experience and we see a lot of heel bruising, don't we not? Do we see a lot of Satan bruising people's heel, having a go wherever he can, wherever he can influence and spread his influence far and wide, as far as he can muster, we see suffering and evil going on. We see him bruising people's heel. But one day, what we will see is Jesus crush his head. Amen. Yeah? Amen. Now, we, we had that as Isaiah 61, didn't we? Now, we like the Isaiah 61 bit. We quote the bit about the Lord, the day of the Lord's um, was it the day of the Lord's um, blessing? Is it? And he's coming and he's anointed me to preach to the sick, the good news to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, heal the sick, yeah, raise the dead. Well, what we don't like to hear is it's the day of vengeance. But actually that's a good thing. Because the Lord's day of vengeance is when he crushes Satan's head. But in the meantime, what we see is a lot of heel bruising. Right now, we see what Satan is doing in the world. It says, what we just read in Matthew 4, wickedness will spread, increase. And we see from Revelation that this wickedness and the the fighting or the dominion of the enemy will come to such a crescendo in Revelation, he's actually going to do battle with God. He thinks he can win. He amasses this mighty army. What we're seeing is a crescendo, something building up towards the end where he will be annihilated. But up until that point, he's fighting a war. He probably knows he can't win. And yet fights it still he does. Maybe out of pride. Maybe out of spite. We don't know. But he's fighting this war. And wherever he can, he wants dominion. And what we see is the curse of his reign and rule. One day, Jesus says he's going to return. The end will come. And actually, he will deal with the enemy so swiftly. He will give the command, and the enemy will be done away with permanently. He will crush his head. But in the meantime, why do you think Jesus said wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, and other fearful events must happen? And like childbirth pains, they get worse and increase in frequency until the end. Why, Why do these things must happen? It's because Satan... Right up until the end, Revelation says, knowing his time is short, is doing all he can, as far as he can, to steal, kill, and destroy. To bruise heels, basically. Thankfully, through Jesus' first coming, by his death, his resurrection, and ascension, God has done all that he needed to do to save people from following Satan to his eternal eternity in hell. God has done all he's needed to do to save us from following the enemy and his dominion into where he belongs. And as we studied last week, for the last 2,000 years, God has been waiting patiently, even though we're seeing wickedness increase, God is waiting patiently 
for as many as possible, the full number it says, turn to Jesus and receive salvation. Not everyone will, but there will be some like ourselves who receive this salvation. God is waiting patiently for as many as possible until that number is reached before Jesus comes back. And this war is completely done away with. In the meantime, we and the world groan under the increasing tyrannical mayhem of the God of this world. We see it everywhere, don't we? We see beauty because God created the good and beautiful world. But actually, the more this wickedness increases, the more we see earthquakes, wars, and things like that. Let's turn to Romans 8 for a moment. As you're finding there, the Bible says that those that are saved, who turn to Jesus for salvation because he paid the price for them to be rescued, it says you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness under the dominion of Satan, following him to hell. You are transferred into the kingdom of his son. Isn't that wonderful? Anyone here being transferred? Yeah, or some versions say translated, whatever. You've been transferred. You were in the kingdom of darkness under the dominion of Satan, but you no longer, you no longer belong to him. You are no longer following him to his eternal destiny of hell. He may still try and steal, kill and destroy from you. He may still try and bruise your heel. But ultimately, you know where you're going. You've been transferred, haven't you? Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul probably means that when Jesus returns and all believers have this new incorruptible body and all things are made new, the creation is waiting for this moment when Jesus comes back and everything is made new. That's probably what Paul means. However, there's also a possibility that Paul is talking about the uh, children of God being revealed that he's talking about times when believers are truly acting like their Holy Spirit born again selves should be. Those times may be when Jesus said those who believe in me, greater things than I will they do. You know Jesus did the miracles, he healed the sick cast out demons, raised the dead, fed the masses when those things happen on this earth, when God's kingdom comes on earth, that is, is in heaven right now, when we're told to pray, that actually creation is waiting for those moments too. Not just when Jesus comes and everything is made new, but creation is waiting for those sons of God or sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Those moments when the Holy Spirit through us is flushing out the kingdom of darkness and replacing it with the kingdom of light. Maybe it's waiting for those times of revelation too. Now, if it were possible, I wonder when Jesus was walking the earth, you could literally hear creation breathing a sigh of relief as Jesus healed the sick, as Jesus cast, you know when he cast out the demons in the man of Gadara? They were ruling the roost, weren't they? No one could go there, and he was running around scaring them. Even chains couldn't keep him. All of a sudden, Jesus came along, and it was, the area was totally transformed. So much so that they were worried and scared and asked Jesus to leave. I wonder if you can hear creation sighing relief wherever Jesus went. 
as the blessing overcame the curse and the kingdom of God dispelled the kingdom of darkness. And maybe there is a temporary halt in creation's groaning, as we read here, wherever we go. That wherever we are being revealed as the children of God, light overcomes darkness. I wonder if creation briefly stops groaning right there and then. I don't know. Verse 20. Romans 8, verse 20. For creation was subject or subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So creation has been subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but when the curse entered the world through Adam and Eve's sin and the enemy gaining dominion. We know, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul is using the analogy that Jesus used about the, the world experiencing birth pains, childbearing pain. Now, I know we covered the pains of childbirth last week, but ladies who have given birth, did you groan during your labor pains and giving birth? Definitely. Definitely? Yeah? What is that groaning? What was it like? What did it sound like? Don't maybe not give us an example, but it was... You don't want to know. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's better to ask the men. Then what was it like? What were the groans and groans like in childbirth? Okay. Well, here the Bible is saying that creation is groaning with that kind of pain. Why? Why is the world groaning with that kind of pain? Is it because of God? Is God to blame? No. It's because of sin and the dominion of the evil one. That's why it's groaning. That's why it's frustrated. Now, the Greek word used for creation's groaning here actually means to moan. If you want the word, it's sistenenzo. Sistenazo or stenenzo, which means to moan. The world is moaning in pain like a lady giving birth. Apart from when you're giving birth, apparently. (laughs) Creation is moaning like a lady giving birth. Because of its bondage unto decay under the curse, the influence of sin and Satan's dominion. And it wasn't even the world's fault, it was our fault. But what about Christians? What about you and I? Do we, or should we, be groaning too? Well, let's carry on. Verse 23. Not only so, not only so the world is groaning, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So until we get to heaven and we get our new heavenly bodies, and everything is made new, heaven and earth, is it okay for us to groan? Yes. It says here, doesn't it? But, how should we groan? 
Should we groan like a woman giving birth? Do you think we should be groaning like a woman in childbirth, the type of moaning and groaning that the creation is doing as well? Well, here it's handy to know the Greek words because the Greek word that Paul, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, purposely wrote here is a different Greek word from the world's moaning. Okay, Because the world, systenazos, which means to moan, Whereas it says, Paul says here, the Christian who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit just stenazos rather than systenazos. They stenazos, which means to sigh. So the world moans and groans in pain. The Christian inwardly sighs. So whilst creation moans, and we've got to be honest here, our flesh the, the unborn again part of us, the part that still wants to sin and be selfish, our flesh loves to join in and moan too, doesn't it? <laughs> yes? Well, whilst everything under the curse of the dominion of Satan moans, inwardly, Paul says, a Christian sighs, which, as we shall find out, is a massive difference. Verse 24. For in this hope, we are saved, or we were saved, sorry. In this hope, what hope? Well, the fact that through faith in Jesus Christ, we who have the Spirit inside us will receive our full redemption when the time comes, and we have a very present testimony of this rock-solid hope in the inward sighing you are experiencing right now. The world, creation, is moaning, doesn't have any hope. But you, through the Holy Spirit, have this amazing hope for this sign in you. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to listen for a moment to the inner sighing that is going on in your spirit. Creation has been subject to frustration and moans. Your body and your soul often experience that same frustration and temptation to moan. Either because you personally experience the effects of the curse or because you see others suffering. You want to moan with them. You feel like moaning with them. But if you are a Christian, what is your born-again spirit subjected to? We know the earth is subject to frustration, but what's your born-again spirit subject to? So let's spend 30 seconds in silence and have a quick listen to your inner sighing now. Let's just have a listen. Depending on how loud your flesh is shouting right now, depending on if you're in pain or you're confused or you're frustrated or you're worrying about something else, 
It depends on how long it takes to actually be quiet enough to hear what's going on in your spirit instead of the flesh. But what was that inward sign like if you were able to discern it from what your flesh is struggling with right now? Can I suggest that when you get to hear that inward sighing, not the outward moaning, but the inward sighing, it's more a sigh of peace, of hope. You know, there's got to be better than this. A a longing for God, maybe. Whether it's a longing just to know Him more, or a longing for Him to do something. It's just a longing for God. A sense of homesickness for heaven as well. Last week we heard that we should speed, look forward to heaven and, res- and speed its coming, didn't we? A real desire to trust God more, that sign for just being, I want more faith. Maybe that sign is a pull to see more of his kingdom come and his will being done on this earth as it is in heaven. Maybe as you listen to the sigh, it turns into a specific prayer to the Father. Or a revelation from his heart to yours. If we listen to the moaning of the world, shouldn't we also listen to the sighing inside us? This is not a sigh of despair. This is a, this is a sigh of hope. It's a sigh of comfort and trust. It's particularly it's a sigh of knowing that Jesus is going to return and things are going to be made new and made right that the day of the Lord's vengeance in a sense of the enemy is coming isn't that inward sigh a wonderful thing if we really tap into it okay verse 24 for in this hope we are saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait patiently But do we wait patiently alone? No, absolutely not. Here's why this inward sigh of yours is so wonderfully different from creation's moaning. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So here's the third groan mentioned by Paul. All creation groans. We know that means to moan. We groan, which we know means to sigh. And the Holy Spirit groans. Now which Greek word do you think the Holy Spirit uses? The moaning or the sigh? The sigh. So creation moans. Believers have an inward sighing. And the Holy Spirit is sighing. Now this is why your inner groaning is so different from creation's groaning. Because your inner inner sighing comes from the Holy Spirit who is sighing in you. We sigh because the Holy Spirit sighs in us. Jesus said that when he sends the Holy Spirit to to believers, he says he will be with you and even in you. And Paul, in this same chapter in Romans 8 above what we're reading, says that the Holy Spirit you receive communicates with your spirit. 
And one of the things the Holy Spirit communicates to your spirit is his sign. The inward signs of your spirit are going to be in part, if not totally, from the Holy Spirit, who is sighing to you and through you. He sighs for you inward. He's praying for interceding for you with sighs in you. Now, do you remember that Jesus said, It's not me, but the Father living in me who is doing his work? Do you remember Jesus saying that? Can you remember a time when Jesus joined in with the Father sighing in him that created a transformation from the curse to the blessing? From the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God. Can you remember a time when Jesus joined in the sighing of the Father inside him? Should we turn to Mark chapter 7? Roman, if you, if you turn around and grab my bag, there's one of those surprise chocolates in there for you. Mark 7, verse 31. This is a time when I think Jesus joined in with the Father, or the Holy Spirit, sighing within him. <coughs> yeah, the surprise about that chocolate, Roman, is the fact that it's melted in my bag <coughs> and then reset. So when you open it, you just don't know whether it's going to be good or not. Okay, Mark 7, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Now, why were these people begging Jesus to place his hand on this man? Well, because Jesus had the Holy Spirit, the authority and the power to heal, and this man didn't, and they didn't either. Are you the same as this deaf and mute man? Or are you more like Jesus who has the Holy Spirit and the power and authority to go and heal people? Which are you like? I'll let you ponder that. Okay. After he took Jesus aside, took him aside, so after Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears, then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ifatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loose, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, be opened. Now Jesus has already said that it's not me, but it's the Father living me who does the works. Now who is it that lives in us? Holy Spirit. Spirit. Who is it that sighs in us? The Holy Spirit. And I think at this point we just have an example of Jesus joining in with the sigh of the Holy Spirit and looking up to heaven and speaking. And God's kingdom kicked out the kingdom of darkness in that moment. What if we grow in our ability to meet creation's groaning or moaning in pain with the Holy Spirit's sighing inside of us? Let's read a little bit more of Romans 8. So go back to Romans 8, verse 27. Romans 8.27 says, And he 
who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Holy Spirit who is in us is interceding with, interceding with sighs inside of you. Is it wise to resist the outside Paul to join in with the world's moaning and instead join in with the Holy Spirit's inward intercessory sighing instead? And then verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Folks, is it difficult to love God when the world is filled with such wickedness? When you see such suffering going on and you join in with creation's frustration and even without realising it, you begin to turn that frustration towards God? Have you ever heard yourself doing that? Other Christians saying, I just don't understand. And start to feel a bit frustrated with God. He's not doing anything. And eventually we're shaking our fists at God and pointing our fingers at Him. And the enemy is getting right where he wants us. We're beginning to lose our love for God and join in with creation's frustration and moaning. When actually he has placed the Holy Spirit inside us with sign and wants us to join in with that sign of hope, of trust. Just like Jesus did and he spoke the word open and the man was freed and healed. Okay. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Even if the birth pain groanings of the world get worse and worse as we near the return of Jesus, there is a sigh inside of us that is giving us continual confidence that whatever happens, in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Don't be alarmed when you hear wars and rumours of wars and pestilences and things like that. Because there's a sigh in you that if you listen to that and join in with that, it's telling you, I'm working for good even in these things for you. Now we could carry on reading Romans 8, but we know the gist of it. Basically it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So let's just turn, as we finish, to Matthew 24 once more. Verse 6. Matthew 24, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Why must they happen? Because right now, the enemy has dominion. And sin is present. And there's going to be a massive, massive fight. It's going to get worse and worse and worse, right up to the end. Until Jesus destroys it with the breath of his mouth. So it's not going to be hard. But he's allowed right up to this moment because God wants people to be saved rather than following the enemy to hell okay God cannot, cannot take evil God cannot take out the Satan without taking those people that are following him so he's waiting to take out Satan so that he can save as many people as possible okay uh, where are we uh, nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom there will be famines and earthquakes in various places why? because the bad devil that has dominion is causing these things all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over and be persecuted, put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Why? Because Satan is roaming and he's trying to do as worse as he can. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Why? Because the devil has dominion and he's trying to do all that he can. 
steal, kill, and destroy. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Why? Because the devil is roaming around and trying to mess things up. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Maybe the biggest reason Christians' love for God grows cold and is their love for the church and his word is because they see such wickedness in the world seemingly going unchecked by God that probably even suffering themselves under the curseful hand of the prince of, prince of this world, they find themselves joining with the moans and groans of creation to the point where they take on the frustration of the world and turn it towards God and get frustrated at God instead of getting even with the enemy, maybe. Perhaps, without him realising it, they've turned their hand of frustration towards God. And it says in verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. As the world grows under the strain of the presence of such wickedness, Christian, not just you Christian, but Christian, what do you have in you to keep you from being subject to such frustration? To give you patient hope? And to keep your love for God and your knowledge of his love for you and your love for his church from not growing cold. What have you got inside you? The Holy Spirit. And what is he doing inside you? He is sighing. That's that inward sighing, not moaning, but sighing. And if you sense that you are more in tune with the moans of the world rather than the inward groves of the Holy Spirit, what should you do? Start to listen to the sigh of the Spirit inside you rather than the moans of the world. And in the case of the deaf and mute man, what three things did Jesus do? He looked up to heaven, he sighed deeply, and he spoke. Maybe try those three things next time you are confronted with the groaning of creation. Look to heaven, sigh deeply, and speak. And see what? Holy Spirit speaks through you. With, with Jesus it was be opened, wasn't it? 